Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Good morning. Good morning. Come on, somebody. We could just sit here and listen to the feedback all day and just talk about how we're miserable this morning for losing an hour of sleep. Would you ever think an hour of sleep could affect you so badly as it did today? The rain did not help. The cloudy weather did not help. None of that help did it. So um, thank you for being here. My name is Ben Chapman. I'm one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. And it's always an honor and privilege to get to share God's word with you um, this morning and just encourage you with that. I, I pray that you leave encouraged. And if you have your Bibles, we'll be in two places. We'll be in Malachi chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 6. So you could turn there and follow along with us here in just a moment. That's where we'll be. We've been in this series called Emotional Quotient. And uh, before we get into it, I just want to say I had a friend who was going to preach this morning and his dad actually had open heart surgery this past week, but it's a pretty cool story because, um, not that he had open heart surgery, that's not cool, but <clears throat> the fact is, is he was at breakfast uh, a week ago Friday, and, and his, his widow maker was 100% blocked, and he actually passed out at breakfast when he was eating with a bunch of his friends. One of them was an EMT, and they were able to assist him and, and end up taking him to the hospital and found out. That, that he had this 100% blockage. And it was just a miracle, to say the least, um, that they were able to find this because typically somebody wouldn't, lose, wouldn't pass out because of the loss of blood to their brain. They would go ahead and have a heart attack, which would, would um, have taken his life. And so we were praising God this week. I drove to Midland as they did a triple bypass surgery um, on, on J. Tom Snelson's dad, Denny. And we just sat with them and were, were there and present and and so J. Tom's not preaching this Sunday, but he's going to preach next Sunday. Really excited that he's going to share God's word with us next Sunday. It's going to be really good, really insightful. If you've never heard J. Tom, he's the only person I know who got a JD and decided not to be a lawyer. He just did it just because. So I don't know why you would do that, but to be obedient to God, I guess. So he's a lot smarter than me, so I think you'll enjoy that sermon next week. But I'm thankful for the miracle of how God has worked to save my friend's dad uh, last week, just that they were able to catch all that before it was too late. And, and I think, you know, that's, it just reminds me of this. I don't know why, man, but I felt like God was just, he's into the miracle work business. He loves to do miracles, and it's a small miracle that I want to praise God for. And just like Janelle, who had heart surgery, they found something in her, found a hole in her heart that got repaired, and God showed up and intervened in the right time, praising God for that, praising God for Tori, who had open heart surgery two years ago, and God just intervened and showed up miraculously. And, and so there's just miracle after miracle, and I just encourage you with that this morning, that, that our God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God who wants to work in power in your life. And I just hope that you would believe that and stand with that, whether it, maybe it's a, something simple or something maybe, maybe massive. God gets the glory for the little and the big, doesn't he? And so can we give God a big hand for that and just celebrate him? <laughs> 
Today, uh, we're going to finish our series, Emotional Quotient. We've just been talking about this whole idea that, that we are becoming a lot smarter as a people. We have more knowledge than ever before. My son probably knows more than I did at 16, and he is five, just because of the information overload that all of us get access on a daily basis, right? Now, most of y'all have a smartphone in this room. If you don't have a smartphone, well, uh, I, I don't know what you're doing or, or where you live, but most of us have a smartphone in this room, and, and it's crazy. Uh, it, isn't it fascinating that this smartphone is more information than they had to get a man on the moon just, just 40, 50 years ago? That is crazy that you have more information, more power to, to get a man on the moon in your hands. And we all have that ability and that access. And it is proven that like intelligence is increasing. IQ is going up as we're getting more information and more knowledge. But the thing that is happening is our EQ or our emotional quotient is actually dropping, isn't it? As a whole, everywhere we look, our emotional quotient is dropping. And we see this over and over again. So we thought it would be good just to talk about it. And so how do you outsmart anxiety is kind of our tagline here. And, and once again, we're not talking about any clinical diagnosis of anxiety or depression. We're talking about the pressures that hit us every day in life. Every day, pressures are hitting us. Every day, there's pressures that are coming against us and, and working against us and and we, we found that, that there's pressures of the calendar last week, that in the, the busyness of life, it's created a lot of pressure. And as a result, we, we are getting dumber, right? Emotionally speaking, we're just, we're dumb emotionally. And it just is happening readily in our lives. And, and, and so my hope as a pastor is that we would move, not only just our emotional quotient would go up, but also our spiritual maturation would go up. I want both of those to go up. I want both of those to just rise and, and increase in our life. And so today, I praise God for spring break. Praise God for time change. Praise God for the weather. Because today, we're going to talk about money. Money. Man, how appropriate is it? I didn't even plan this, but I think it's appropriate because only the faithful came to hear about money this morning. And, and uh, how many of you know that that's a stressor in our life? Uh, money can be a huge stressor. In fact... Years ago, the, the, the two most stressful things in life were public speaking and death. Those were the two things that we were most afraid of, the most stress that came about, death and public speaking. Well, I, I just want to let you know, those two things are no longer on the list. In fact, we, we read the list last week. Would you bring that up, Angel, the list right here? Um, so here's... <clears throat> We, we had two lists right here. The first one is this, is that top causes stress, job pressure, money, health, relationships, poor nutrition, media overload. Okay, next slide. Okay, this was those surveyed most common sources of stress in the U.S. 63% said future of the nation, 62% money. Money has always been on the list. Money has always been a less, I don't think it's changed much. It's, it's constantly these pressures and, and these stresses. Uh, uh, retirement is very stressful now. Everybody's finding out they don't have enough to retire, that, that they haven't been saving enough. And you look at your 401k and you're, you're, you're doing the projections. You go to bankrate.com and do all the projections. Am I the only one who does that? I, I do that like every week. Like, did it go up? Am I going to change? Am I going to be able to retire? And, and, uh, and so retirement, 
medical expenses a huge stressful um, situation, isn't it? Like just the medical expenses. You, you take your kid to the doctor and it's astronomically more than it was previously just a few years ago. I, I, I was so convicted by this, Brandy, and I had this health care plan and that the church provides for us. And as I was looking at the numbers, I was saying, this is, this is way too much money to be spending on health care. So we're like ditching health care and going to a MediShare program, doing Samaritans and, and realizing like we need to do something else to save money. This is, this is way too much money. And, and y'all know that because y'all pay health care plans out of pocket. And, and some of you are delaying having kids because it's, it's expensive when you have kids. and Your health care goes up. Like let's just wait to have kids. Um, debt is at an all-time high in a lot of people's life and in our nations, right? The student debt is at an all-time high. It, it is it, it's astronomically, I, I, I think the last figure I read was $16 trillion or something like that, um, dollars in student loan. I could be wrong, and that could be inflated. I didn't research it, but, but it, is, it is expensive. It is expensive. Um, and then you have all the other pressures that happen in life, saving for college, what are you going to do with your parents? How do you provide for them as they age? Um, how, do you, how do you begin to plan for vacations and everything else that you want to do in life? How do I feed these mouths? You see inflation increasing. Has anybody noticed like the price of groceries has gone up? It's like keeps going up. Is, is it just going to keep going higher and higher and higher? And why am I talking about this? Because I'm trying to stress you out. I'm trying to stretch you out. I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint the picture that, man, the pressure of life and money is, is going up and up and up. And we're con- constantly checking our bank account and looking at this stuff. And, and it's just going to happen over and over again. But God has a solution for the stress of money. God has a solution to raise your emotional quotient when it comes to the pressure and anxiety of money in your life. And I want to present that biblically to you today. But first off, I want to start off with my journey and my story and, and how money has affected me growing up. Uh, when I was growing up, I was a kid who loved money. Like, it's, it's like when you don't have it, you love it more. Is, is that so true? You know, you just start collecting it. Yeah, I, I was a kid who would constantly figure, fill up my piggy bank jar and I would count the money and, and make piles of quarters. Did you ever do that? And you would just count the money and see how much you would have and you would go through it. And it, it was like a weekly thing I did. It's just look at money, count money. I loved Monopoly. I loved money and Monopoly. I just, I was so fascinated with money and I, I would do anything for a dollar. Anybody would do anything for a dollar? Am I the only one who would do that? I would ride the bus and on the bus, I would, I would soak these toothpicks in, in cinnamon water, right? And then I'd sell these cinnamon toothpicks on the bus. It, it, it was the best thing, you know? You get a nickel for a toothpick, you know? And, and, and it was just amazing. So I was hustling on the bus, trying to make money, uh, anything I could do to just make an extra dollar. And I remember refing soccer at the age of 12 years old and when I was repping soccer, I, I remember getting my first check, and it was so much money. It was like, this is, this is amazing, $48. This is incredible. I am so rich. I'm so wealthy right now. And, and for whatever reason, my parents put the principle of tithing into my life. And, and, and at the age of 12, I just believed that I'm going to tithe off the very first fruit of what I get. Now, at the age of 12 years old, I remember tithing off my first soccer check. And, and then my next one, and my next one, and my next one. In fact, <clears throat> tithing was never hard for me. And I want to talk about tithing and the importance of that in just a moment. But, but I constantly grew up tithing, and, 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 and I was fascinating with money and just how it looks. And 
what to do with it. I was fascinated how we can apply it to our life. And, 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 yet, and yet, I was not good with money. You know what I mean? Like, like I tithed, I did that, I obeyed God, but I was never really good with money. I would spend money as quickly as I made it. I would count all the quarters, and then I would see what I could buy for it. As soon as the ice cream van came by, before they went creepy, you know, as soon as it came by, I, I would run out there and I'd buy some ice cream, and, and, and I, would just, I would just spend money as quickly as it came in, and then I realized I needed to make more money in order to make up for the loss of money that I was spending. So I would earn more money, and I would constantly do this vicious cycle that many of you do um, today where you have to out-earn your expenses, your spending. You have to out-earn it. And so you keep earning and earning and earning. And, and, then, and then college happened, and I realized, like, man, I just can't earn enough to do what I want to do. I had a full ride to college. I didn't have to take out any debt for college. Um, got, got, got some crazy scholarships and just so thankful for it, so blessed. And yet, I wanted to go on all the adventures that all my friends were going on. I wanted to go on the ski trip. I wanted to go out of town. I wanted to hang out. I wanted to eat like, like everybody else ate, you know? And, and the, the thing that came up in, in my soul was keeping up with the Kardashians, right? Where, where I had to start keeping up and buying and doing and, and living this life. Or, or some of you may know as keeping up with the Joneses. And, and I had to outpace and outdo and keep up. And my friends were going here and they're spending this. And so I realized that, that I had a very good friend. It was Plains Financial. And they would just give me money while I was in college. And I could expend money like as much as I wanted. And so um, I would take out these, these loans out just to party. You know what I mean? Like, I would take loans out to party. Most people take out loans out for school, but, but I was taking them out to party because school was already paid for. And then I'd get a credit card here and a credit card there, and I was keeping up with the minimum payments and all this stuff. And then, then I meet my beautiful wife, and, and, and I realized, like, man, what am I going to do about this financial picture that I have painted and, and gotten myself into when I met my wife? And, and, and I was honest with her, and we talked about it, and she agreed to marry my debt, and I was so thankful. And I agreed to marry her Best Buy TV debt, and, and it was awesome. And so <clears throat> we were both backwards and both wondering how to do this, and, and tithing wasn't the issue for us. We obeyed God in the tithe. We just had a hard part with everything else, everything else after the tithe. The 90% that we got to keep, we had a hard time with how to steward. So we, we ended up um, just taking a financial class and doing some of these principles that I want to talk about today. The first thing to outsmart anxiety is you have to start tithing. You have to start tithing. If, if you're going to start anything, this is the first thing that you have to start doing in your life. This is simply 10% of the income that you get on a, on, on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. You give your first fruit 10%, and, and this, is, this is one of the ways to end up becoming financially free. It is the gateway to really find yourself being blessed versus cursed, as we're going to read in Malachi chapter 3. This is a very, very um, rough scripture. So Matthew chap Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, let's read this this morning. Thank you for coming to church this morning. Praise God, money. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In this moment, we read about the tithe. We read about this moment where the prophet is rebuking the nation, the people of God. This is the people of God for not bringing the tithe into the storehouse, that they were robbing God with this. Now, some of you are like, oh, this is rough. You know, this, this, is, this is a rough one. And then, and then others of you are like, oh, that's okay. That's law. You know, that's law. That was, that was all law. We don't have to worry about that. But actually, you look at the tithe, and the tithe was fulfilled even before the law. We see many aspects where the tithe was, was, was presented before the law of Moses. You may remember Abram and Melchizedek, Melchizedek uh, in Genesis 14, 20, right? You may remember who they are. And you may remember this moment where, where Melchizedek is sitting there and, and talking to Abram, and Abram gives him a tenth of everything that they just earned from this battle. He, he tithed a tenth in this moment. And then in, in, in Luke eleven forty two we read about Jesus, where Jesus talks about the tithe. So we don't just see it, um, we don't just see it after law, we see it pre-law. And then we see Jesus talking about it. And I think it's important for us to know how Jesus talks about this. And, and if you stay long enough in this sermon, which I hope you do, if you stay long enough in the sermon, you're going to hear why the tithe and, and the heartbeat behind it. In, in, Genesis, in Luke eleven forty two 42, it says this. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. That we see in this moment where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we talk about the Pharisees often because a lot of us can have pharisaical hearts. If you sit in this church for any amount of time, the longer you sit, the more pharisaical you can be in your acts and behavior. Feeling like you have to earn your way to God. Creating these laws in your life. Creating these rules in order to get to God. But knowing that God already got to you despite the rules. He got to you and won in your heart and it was grace poured upon you instead jesus in this moment says the pharisees they were great it was good that you 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 tithed off the herbs of your garden and you tied off of these the the mint and you tied off this increase in your life it was good that you did that but you neglected something as you were doing that you neglected loving god and loving people you neglected really my heart and and, and the way that you should live so i don't i don't want you to not Tithe is what Jesus says, but I want you to love. And that's important for us because a lot of us will, will check off the boxes just like me. I'll check off the boxes. I was tithing. I was doing all this. And yet I was very legalistic about everything. You see, see when you tithe to the nth degree, when you tithe to the letter of the law, when you, when you make the law the law and not the law a revealing of the heart and transformation, what happens is you can become very legalistic in it. And, and as you become legalistic and you start doing something, you get a little puffed up, don't you? 
Think about, think about something that you've accomplished, right? Something you do on a weekly, daily basis. Some you exercise, right? And so as you exercise, you start checking the box. Man, I exercise today. Exercise today. Exercise today. And after three years of exercise, and what you do, and oftentimes do, you look at people who aren't exercising. And go, man, they are not exercising, but I am exercising. Therefore, I am superior, and they are inferior. <laughs> and, and, and that's their deal. And do you see what happened is it was good for you to exercise. But once you, once you married that and didn't realize, no, you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it to take care of your body. You're doing it to steward what God's given you. You're doing it out of obedience. You're doing it out of a good heart. If you forget that, you start judging everyone else. So that's what can happen often in the tithe is you start tithing, and then you look at everybody who's not tithing. You look at this person, you know, who's doing this or that, and you start, you maybe start judging. Well, well, I tithe and you don't, therefore I'm superior and you are inferior. So it's not for that, and this is what the Pharisees were doing. It's actually, it's actually for, for so much more. Tithe meets two needs. One is a practical need. A practical need. It takes care of the, the, the food, the lights, the bills, the, 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 the ministry that it takes to reach the city, to reach the church, to reach the community. It's a, it's a practical thing to breathe the tithe into the storehouse. But there, it also is a spiritual thing where it's trust and obedience and faith in God. That, that, that as you tithe, not only does it meet a practical need, but it's starting to grow your faith and your trust and your obedience to God. It starts making you lean on God and lean into him in so many ways. And, and, and so many believers and so many Christians that I talk to, we talk to, and we, we have a conversations with, is if they, if they have a problem in their finances, usually the first question that Brandy and I ask is, are you tithing? Are you tithing? Because, not because we're trying to be legalistic or make you tithe to our church. Well, I feel weird about that, right? This is why no pastor wants to preach on it, because it's weird. And, and not because of that. It's because of this. In verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. You see, you withholding a tithe actually brings a curse upon you. It actually curses the blessing that God wants to bless you with. When you start tithing, you, you bring blessing into your life. Not blessing to get more, but blessing so that you can give more. This is what God's heart is for you as you tithe. And so that's the first question that we ask is, are you tithing? And 90% of the time, they are not. 90% of the time, they're not. And if we really get to the root of it, we get to the fact of it's not because they don't want to meet these practical needs in the, in the church, but it's because they don't trust God. If you really nail it down and go to the very root of it, it comes to faith. The fact is, I just don't trust God. It's not that you can't just live on the 90% because all of us can live on the 90%. Think about five years ago. You made 90% of what you make now or less. You, you lived on the 90% just fine. It's not because you can't live on the 90%. It's because you don't trust God. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty bold to say that, but I'm only saying that to reiterate what Malachi says, that, that you'll be cursed with a curse and you are robbing me. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you 
so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. That God is going to come and he's going to place this inside of you. And it's one of those things, just like we've been talking uh, for the last three weeks with emotional quotient and growing into maturity. It's really taking a step of faith and a step of trust. That you have to be convinced that, it, that this is what God has for you. You have to be convinced of it. It's hard to convince somebody. Uh, some, so we take strength finders in our growth track, and there's, there's th- these themes. And one theme that I love, but also is a double-edged sword. In fact, all these themes have a double-edged sword. But one of them is belief. <clears throat> now, belief basically says, like, once you believe something, you are concrete in it, and nothing's going to change your mind. How many know that's a good thing? <clears throat> that's a great thing. My wife has belief. Belief is incredible because it's strong and it's powerful. And once she's convinced that she loves Jesus, nothing's going to convince her otherwise. Me, I'm going to be like, man, dude, I love Jesus this week. I don't know, you know. And, you know, I, I constantly wrestle maybe with some doubts or different things or different insecurities. And, and her, she's just confident. Anybody with belief, like, has this confidence, like, I believe it. Therefore, it is. But the thing about belief is sometimes you believe one thing. And so to be convinced of something else is very challenging. In fact, some of you believe that I must work seven days a week in order to get ahead in life. So now you have to be convinced of something else. Some of you believe like tithe is is Old Testament and therefore I have to be convinced of something else. So I'm praying that the words of Jesus and as we read this, you would be convinced with it. So tithe is the first thing to, to bring down anxiety. And as you're talking about giving money away, some of you are more anxious. How are we going to do that? I don't even know. Trust the process. Trust the process of what God has lined for you. It's not my process. It's God's process from his word for you. That's what we're preaching today. And then the second thing you need to do is when you have 90%, you got to get on a budget. Everybody say budget. Some of you didn't like that word. Some of you don't like that word. It's a curse word, right? It's the B word. Like, don't, don't use the B word in our house. We are not going to be on a budget. We're not going to do that. So just think of it as a plan, like a plan for your life, a plan for your money. Have you ever made plans for the weekend, plans to see a friend, plans when you go out of town? That's all a budget is. It's just plans. I'm going to make some plans for us. How many of you have never made a plan? I remember when I was 20 years old. I was finishing, I was actually 22 years old. I was finishing college and I decided to go to Scotland to see my friend. He lived in London. I was going to take a stop in Scotland and, and I was going to go over there and I was going to go with no plan. You know, like free spirit. How many just want to free spirit it? You know, we're just going to go. We're just going to free spirit. I went. All of a sudden, I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. There was days I was just walking around neighborhoods, like looking at houses. Like, is this what you're supposed to do in London? Look at houses? I would get lost. I remember one time I got lost. Didn't think I would ever make it back to his house. And, and, and it was like a foreign land. And, and I realized after being lost on the second day that I kind of needed a plan for the rest of my week. If I was really going to enjoy and, and, and take in what, all the sights and see what was happening. It was a plan. All of us have plans. All of us has plans, and, and I'm just encouraging you to have a plan with the 90%. 
The 90% that God has told you to live on, that you would make a plan with it and that you would set a budget in place. This is so important. When Brandon and I first got married, we married debt, right? So we got in all this debt, and then we married each other, and we had debt, and debt was exponential. And then all of a sudden, we were just living free like newlyweds. You know, we're just spending money and just having a good time, right? Because we're just barely married, you know? We got to enjoy this. It's not fun to have a plan when you're first married. Like, we just want to wing it. And, uh, and, then, and then she lost a, a significant part of her salary, and, and we were a little stressed, right? Because how many of you ever, like, taken a hit financially? It kind of creates some stress. But thankfully, we just walked through a class. A class that taught us how to have a plan. A, th- a, plan, a, a, a class that taught us how to have a budget. In fact, it was a month before we lost this salary that we had a plan for our money. And we started allocating our money line by line. And when we did that, when we lost the salary, we already knew how much we needed to live on. We already knew. And so when we lost that salary, that portion, we weren't stressed about it. Or I wasn't stressed. I don't know if you were stressed. You may have been a little stressed, but it's because you didn't trust the Lord yet, babe. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I want to encourage you. If you've never gotten trained to formally have a plan, there's classes to train you. And so what we do as a church, we do Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University is a great uh, um, class to help you with a plan and a budget and to give you the heart behind the why you need to make a plan for the 90%. We do this every summer, but I want to just tell you, like right now, if you're like nudging your husband or nudging your friend who keeps going shopping at La Quintera and keeps doing this, if you're nudging your friend right now, I just want to encourage you, there's 52 groups in San Antonio that are offering Financial Peace University. 52, you can just go to DaveRamsey.com, find one of these groups, get in one of these groups. We'd encourage you to do that and that it would be significant to give you a plan for what you need. Also, I wanna just encourage you, maybe, maybe you don't wanna take that step, but you wanna meet with somebody financially. Just email me, ben at luminouschurch.org. We have people in our church who have been trained and love to help people with a plan. The hard part about a plan is you want to keep you want to keep your finances private. You want to keep your finances private because maybe culturally you grew up where finances were private or you want to be prideful about them. You want you you end up being private and prideful, right? Which it just means that I, I'm really insecure. That's all pride is. Pride is is masked insecurity. It's insecurity puffed up, over-exaggerated, overcompensating. So I just encourage you, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to be vulnerable in this. You need, you need to quit hiding your finances. If I could encourage you with anything, quit hiding your 90% and start being accountable to it. You need an accountability partner. An accountability partner with this. Just like anything in faith, you need an accountability partner. You need an accountability when it comes to prayer, reading your word, how you treating your spouse, how you treating your friendships, how you treating your mother and father, how you treating how you treating people, how you treating your workers and your coworkers, how you doing this. You, you need accountability, and you need accountability in this as well. And, and I, I would just urge you: don't if you're married, don't let your accountability be your spouse. Because it's easy to get your spouse 
on the board with any dumb decision that you're about to do. Yeah, you found that to be true? Like, but babe, think about it. You know, you could get your nails done and your hair did, and, and you could get all this done, new outfit, while we go explore Costa Rica and, and just hang out on that credit card that we have in our back pocket. We could just do that. And then all of a sudden it becomes beautiful to her. Yes, we could do that. And then we could pay it back, you know, once Christmas bonus comes and it'd be no problem. Oh, yes. Uh, neglect the kids, you know, Christmas guess why we do this i'm just kidding so so you need accountability outside of your spouse like maybe maybe a a, a guy you're in discipleship relationship with a woman that you're in discipleship relationship with hey here's our finances here's where it is Here, here's what it looks like can you keep me accountable to this can you keep encouraging me in this how many think that's a good idea and the next thing you need to do when, with your 90 percent, you need to eliminate the debt that you have you need to eliminate the debt that you have Debt is, is more than often the main cause of your financial anxiety. It's, it's all those minimum payments that are coming up. It's all those things that are happening. And, and why am I talking about debt? Because we think that we could just live on other people's money for the rest of our life because maybe we see it modeled um, in our economy. Maybe that's how our economy is structured. Maybe different things like this, leveraging money and all these things. But I want to just encourage you, get debt free if you can. If you possibly can, get debt-free and work on it and, and be diligent about it. Truly, a, a, a true sign is where your emotional quotient is. If you stay in debt, you probably have a lower EQ. To be honest, you probably have a lower EQ, and here's why. Because most of debt is impulsive spending. Impulsive spending to gratify the flesh which is a low EQ moment. Uh, and, and I wrestle with this all the time. I'm uh, kind of emotionally driven, and sometimes I want to emotionally spend. So thank goodness Brandy gives me allowance. I get, I get an allowance, or blow money is what we call it, where you can just spend it however you want. Here's free money for you. Here's your $40, you know, $20 a week. You spend it however you want. And, and it's just freeing for me. I just... I blow it and I spend it and it's gone and it's gone usually in six hours from when I get it. So I, I already have a plan for that money where I'm going to spend it. But here's the good news is I'm not going to get more money and more money that I don't have because I can't gratify my flesh if it's going to cost me something, a debt that I can't pay. So, so this is a good sign of emotional quotient being elevated right here. And then lastly... You need to have faith. You need to have faith is that, that, that once, you, once you tithe and once you are on a budget and once you start eliminating debt, you're just going to have to have faith. See, everything in the Christian walk comes down to faith. It's being able to do stuff that it's not on your own strength but on God's strength. And relying on him. There's going to be moments when you look at this and you're like, man, I don't know if we can live on the 90% because we're overextended in every way. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to take faith. It's going to take faith. It's going to take a move. Because unless you operate in faith, you will never do it. If you don't operate and step out in faith, you'll, you'll never even try it. It's faith that moves you into this place. Matthew chapter 6. Let's read that together in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Let me read that again for those shoppers out there. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, not of more, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And while you are anxious about clothing, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want to encourage you that God's economy is not like our economy. It never has been and never will be. You see, man's economy is constantly striving, constantly going forth. It's constantly, it's constantly trying to get ahead. Uh, man's economy is always this idea and working out of, I don't have enough. That's how a man's economy works. But God's economy is like a surplus economy. It's always, I have more than enough. I have more than you'll ever need. This is God's economy, and God's economy is great, and we have to believe this. Just like it takes faith to walk in the grace, the gift that God has given you, that you can't pay for the debt that you owe for your sin, that Jesus took your debt and he paid for it. It takes faith to put your trust in Jesus and believe that the cross was enough, that his resurrection was powerful to conquer death, that God's economy works the same way, that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that his everything is his, everything belongs to him. We have to believe that he did this, and I love that Jesus modeled this. Jesus was never worried about money while he was on the earth. Did you know Jesus had the insight to know that he was being robbed well, in his ministry? He had the insight that Judas was robbing him, and yet he was not worried about money? It's amazing. What freedom is that? that a lot of us think, man, they're going to get out to get me. They're going to do this. But, but Jesus operating this faith that God has more than enough to provide for me in every situation, in every circumstance. Jesus walked it out. And as I look at Jesus' life and clearly see him, I too walk it out, believing in faith and trusting him. So I'm glad you came this spring break. I'm glad you woke up on time change. I'm glad you heard about money this morning because I really think it's going to lift a curse off your life. Ultimately, our heart is not to, it's not to get you to follow the law, but it's for you to have a heart change. See, 800 times the Bible talks about cash. Over 2,000 times it talks about possessions. Jesus often talked about money because money can be a God over our life. And we worship it versus our creator and the king. So God is freeing us from the worship of stuff to the worship of him. And it's the most freeing place to be. So I want to encourage you. We, we have these books out here. It's called The Blessed Life. It's written by Robert Morris of Gateway Church in Dallas. A lot of you have read this, but if you haven't, we, we have these available to you. They're one per household, they're free. One per household, you can grab one of these on the way out. I would encourage you, 
Not just to listen to a sermon and not just do a one-off and not do anything impulsively, but that you would pray about it and consider what God wants you to do with your finances. And this book talks about the hearts more than the law. What is the heart behind generosity? I believe that God wants us to be a generous people. I believe that God wants us to keep moving forward in his likeness and for his glory. And I'm praying that our church would never be ruled by money, but we'd be ruled by our king. Would you stand with me this morning as I pray for us? Father, we love you today, God. We thank you for who you are, God, and we just praise you right now, Father God. Lord, our heart in this is to have a heart change to worship the king who is above all kings. The Lord who is above all lords, the God of all gods. Lord, I pray, God, that this wouldn't be about um, owing you anything. I pray that it would not be to earn love. I pray that it wouldn't be any of that. I pray it would be to reposition our hearts to the kingdom. That we'd seek first the kingdom of God. That God, your kingdom is what we long for and what we want and what we look for. So Lord, let us be kingdom minded in all that we do and say. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.